Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's not that he, he won't, it's that sometimes he can't. He can't bless us. Oh, he, he wants to bless us even, I believe, sometimes more than we ourselves want to be blessed. But he can't. He's looking for ways to bless us. And if we would but obey him, please him, be a doer of God's word, then God's blessing will come. That's just how it works. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. When we're experiencing a period of difficult circumstances, we may be tempted to question God's goodness. However, Pastor J.D. reminds us that often it's us who are preventing God from showering His blessings upon us. It's in those times that we must evaluate our lives for areas of sin or disobedience. Allow God's blessings to flow as He so greatly desires. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ezra, chapter 8, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We get a glimpse into the motive of this Persian king. It seems that he wants to appease this God of Israel, as actually was the custom in the day, but wisely so. He does not want anything to come upon him because he readily admits and acknowledges that this is the God of heaven, which is remarkable in and of itself. Uh, the second thought, and this is what I want to actually kind of draw your attention to as we bring chapter 7 to a close. It has to do with the peril that Ezra and all of those who are returning with him to Jerusalem face. They are, think about this, they are prime targets for the many thieves. And there are many thieves along the way in this treacherous 900-mile journey. Now I'm going to pose a question, and we're going to get this question answered for us in a very profound way in chapter 8. But here's the question. How did they safely complete this journey without being robbed? Nothing was taken. We're going to see that at the end of chapter 8. They had an accounting of everything. Oh, by the way, these are not just the men that are traveling, which we're going to see in chapter 8 as well, the numbers of those men, who they were, but their wives and their children with them as well. Now think about that. You're taking this journey as perilous and dangerous as it is, and you've got that much wealth with you, and these bandits are waiting just waiting for someone like this to make a journey like this. Well, hang on to that, and we'll come back to that. Verse 25, And you, Ezra, according to your God, given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. you got a Persian king telling Ezra, you need to teach them the word of God. Okay, all right. 
So, (laughs) teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, (laughs) let judgment be executed speedily on him. Whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Okay, where I come from, they call that a a deterrent. (laughs) A deterrent. Verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended mercy to me, speaking of Ezra, before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. So I, Ezra speaking, was encouraged. And here it is again, as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. This is amazing. You know what Ezra does here? He acknowledges and is thankful and grateful for the grace and the mercy of the king and how King Artaxerxes had issued this decree. But it doesn't come at the expense of giving God the glory. He's not in any way glorifying this king. He's, he's acknowledging the king's generosity, the king's grace, the king's mercy. But all the glory goes to the Lord as it should be. The glory belongs only to the Lord. No flesh shall glory in his presence. Also, notice in verse 28, where we're told that Ezra was encouraged. Why was he encouraged? He was encouraged because God was blessing him. The hand of God's blessing was upon his life. Now, why again, I'm asking, why again was this man so blessed? Because he was a doer of God's word. The blessing of God in his life, the hand of God upon his life was because of the love for and the application of the word of God in his life. Is that too simple? Sometimes, and I speak of myself, it seems like it's so simple that it's too simple. Think about this. God wants to bless us. I imagine God looking for ways, waiting on standby, as it were, for opportunities. Just anything, at any time, He wants to bless His people. It's not that He he won't, it's that sometimes He can't. He can't bless us. Oh, he he wants to bless us even, I believe, sometimes more than we ourselves want to be blessed. But he can't. He's looking for ways to bless us. And if we would but obey him, please him, be a doer of God's word, then God's blessing will come. That's just how it works. Now, Ezra, I believe, knew that all the king had done for him, and that's quite a bit, wouldn't you agree? That it came only, which is why he gives all the glory to God, it came only because the hand of the Lord had not only blessed him, the hand of God was not only upon him, 
But the hand of God was also upon the king. The hand of God was directing and turning and moving the king's heart in the direction that God pleased. This is Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart, listen, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Oh, well that explains it. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Boy, is this not apropos for today in the United States of America and the President of the United States of America, President Trump, God's hand directs presidents and kings and rulers. Obama, are you telling me that God's hand directed and turned the heart of an Obama, a Clinton, a Bush? Absolutely. Yeah, but (laughs) why would God do that? Oh, God will turn the hearts of any ruler, any king, any president, because in the end it serves his purpose. It fulfills and completes His perfect plan. His ways are too high for our understanding. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, Isaiah says. All right, it's going to get interesting here. Ezra 8 verse 1, if you'll just bear with me on these uh, head counts. (laughs) These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me, from Ezra speaking, from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel of the sons of David, Hattush of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males. This is going to come into play here in a moment. Of the sons of Pahath Moab, Eliohenai, the son of Zechariah, uh, with him 200 males, and the sons, verse 5, of Shechaniah, ben Jehaziel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons of Adin, Abed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males. Of the sons, verse 7, of Elam, Jeshiah, of the son, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 males. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 males. This is kind of specific, yeah. Of the sons, verse 10, of Shalamith, ben Josephiah, and with him 160 males. You're thinking to yourself, are you going to keep reading all of these? Yeah, just hang in there. Of the sons of Babai, Zechariah, the son of Babai, and with him 28 males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 males. Also of the sons of Bigvai, Uthai, and Zabud, and with them 70 males. Now, verse 15, I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, And we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. Wow. Then 
I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jarib, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam leaders. Also for Jorib and El Nathan, men of understanding. Verse 17. And I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man at the place Kasafia. And I told them what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place Kasafia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Apparently we have no Levites, so they have to bring some servants, right? Then, and here it is again, by the good hand of our God upon us, I'm starting to really like that, they brought us a man of understanding, of the sons of Mahli, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshaiah of the sons of Marari. This is the brother of Ferrari, the luxury exotic car manufacturer. You're still with me, right? So I just want to make sure. His brothers and their sons, 20 men, also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Wow. Okay, why in the world do we have and th- this detail and need to know <laughs> who came, how many men there were? There's no counting of the women and children. These are the men, the heads. And if my math is right, the total of the men, not again including the women or the children, was about 1,500. 1,500? 1,500 men returned with Ezra to Jerusalem, which is less than the numbers of those who returned to Jerusalem in the first wave under Zerubbabel. In fact, it's considerably less. In fact, there was about 50, five zero, not 15, five zero thousand, 50,000 men not just women and children, men that returned from captivity under Zerubbabel in the first wave of Jews returning to Jerusalem. And now there's only 1,500? What's up with that? Here's the thought. All the Jews that remained there, that didn't accept the invitation, to take this step of faith, and it was a step of faith. I'll give them that. They were too comfortable where they were at. You go. I'm going to stay. You know, my my roots are kind of, I'm kind of established here. I'm not going to go. And only 1,500 men said, I'll go. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Oh, by the way, I wonder in the end who regretted their decision. Do you think that those who returned to Jerusalem regretted? No. Do you think that those who didn't regretted? You better believe they did. Who were the ones that were blessed? The ones who returned. Isn't it true that as the writer of Hebrews says, that it's without faith it's impossible 
to please God. You know, I think about when we took the step of faith to come here, start all over, and start this this church. It was scary. And I've shared, you know, very candidly about how, I, you know, the first two years I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, what have I done? I thought I had made the worst decision of my life. And now 13 years later, I can't even imagine not having taken that step of faith and being here and seeing the hand of God's blessing on this ministry because I was willing to leave and come and start all over, take that step of faith. I really believe that if without faith it's impossible to please God, that with faith we are very pleasing to God. He is so pleased when we step out in faith. It's almost like he he can't resist blessing us. He is so pleased that he blesses those, and such is the case here. Uh, What's up with the Levites, though? We're told that the Levites, when Ezra, it's it's kind of detailed. The the narrative is detailed. We're we're told that he's looking around. He's got the, there's 1,500 men. Okay, they're doing the count. Okay, there's 180 from this man. There's 150 here, 200 and some here. He's counting and he's going, wait a minute. Where's the, these are the, these are the priests, man. These are the pastors. These are the servants. What, where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Why? Well, they too it seems, had become too comfortable and their roots had been dug down too deep in the soil of Babylon. That's the only explanation that I can come up with. I mean, that's what you kind of can surmise from their conspicuous absence. You know, the reason I point this out is because this is one of the biggest problems that leaders face in the church today. There is so much work to do. There's so much of God's work in furthering God's kingdom, and there's no man. There's no man who are willing to do it. On Sunday, we talked about this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 35. We're told that Jesus, as he was going about all the cities and villages, and he was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But, like Ezra, when he saw the multitudes, like Ezra saw the men, 1,500 men, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because... They were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Now picture the scene. He turns to his disciples and listen to what he tells them. He said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. But here's the problem. The laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This analogy, example, comparison of the harvest would have meant a lot to them in that day, in that culture. 
I grew up in a small farm town. And at the time of the harvest, the wheat harvest, it was so urgent. And they would hire us kids out of school. And in order to get the crops in so they wouldn't lose the crops, they would delay starting school. That's how serious it was. Because if you didn't get that harvest in, you lose the crops. You see the connection? It's so urgent, the day in which we live. We're going to lose people. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest while there's still time before it's too late. The wheat, when it was ready, it was golden. You would look out over those wheat fields and the waves of the wheat fields as they would move back and forth with the wind. That's the grain. That's the bread. That's the livelihood. And you could lose it all. You could lose it all if you don't have laborers to bring in the harvest. It's ready. It's ready. It's ready. We need laborers. Well, verse 21, and here's what I've really been looking forward to. Appreciate your patience. Ezra speaking, and this is what he says. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might, and I want you to pay particular attention to what he says here, because it's going to be germane to our understanding of this. He says that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions, the little children. For I was ashamed, verse 22, to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. In other words, I already told the king, God's got this. God's hand is on us. So, verse 23, we fasted, and entreated our God for this. And these five words, I love these five words, I love these five words, I love these five words. And he answered our prayer. Okay. This is the answer. Remember the question that was on the table? That heretofore has remained unanswered? The aforementioned question of how did they safely travel and make that 900 mile long treacherous journey without being robbed? How did they do that? Oh, answer, they humbled themselves in prayer and fasting. We're so glad we've had this time with you today as we've continued through the book of Ezra with Pastor J.D. Farag. Pastor J.D. is the lead pastor at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe in Kaneohe, Hawaii. And if you happen to live here, you're invited to visit. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe holds services Sundays at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and in-depth Bible studies each Thursday at 7 p.m. Directions can be found on our website, in spiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor JD's teachings through our online resources at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Simply click listen on the top of the page to gain access to a number of previous messages by Pastor JD in various books of the Bible. 
You can also find these teachings on our mobile app and take them with you on the go. In addition to accessing those teachings, you can also check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible Prophecy Update. You can also find the updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. It's our prayer that the scripture shared here will work its way into your heart and life through the Spirit's power. Join us for more from the book of Ezra on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. Will you-